Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. We would love to write policies where everyone who's justified in complaining gets compensated in some way, and everybody who's trying to screw over the company gets rejected. And there's 100% accuracy in that. That policy doesn't exist. And I had to get someone in Jaguar to look at that part and write a report for me saying that this could have happened at their shop rather than mine. So here's a question. How in the bloody hell do I do that? So the policy was basically go away. Yeah. I wanted to see the CEO of the fairies. (laughs) (laughs) He had a real high squeaky voice and glittery wings, but he was a lovely chap. So Ryan, I don't know about you, mate, but recently I have found that there are so many experiences I'm having that are just bad. Mm. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, or hopefully not in the middle, getting towards the end. But it just feels like after 18 months, people should have been able to sort this stuff out and work out what they're doing. Let me give you an example. The one that's really bugging me at the moment is when you phone into a call center, they're all saying, we're experiencing high call volumes. Your call's important to us. I think they should change that to say, we've not employed enough people and your call is not important enough to you. Yeah, even worse when they say we're experiencing a high call volume is when they say we're experiencing an unexpectedly high call volume. Yeah. But when it happens month after month, it's no longer unexpected. Like that's, you should start expecting that. Yeah, I I totally agree. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was very understanding about this. And you think to yourself, yeah, I understand it's an issue. And I understand we have to, you know, we're everyone's in the same boat and we have to sort of roll with the punches. But now I just think it's wrong, basically. So this made me think about some experiences I've had recently just made me think about maybe we should do a show on uh, five rules for effectively dealing with a customer complaint. I know it's quite basic, but I think many organizations still get this wrong. And recently, I've had to complain on two occasions. I don't complain a lot, but I had to complain on a couple of occasions. And it's just appalling the way that they were, it was dealt with. So five rules for effectively dealing with customer complaint. Does that make sense? Great. Let's hear it. So the first rule is you have to read between the lines. What I mean by reading between the lines is what's the real issue that the customer is complaining about? Okay. What's the real issue? Okay. And typically, it's not just about the product didn't work or the process was screwed up in some way, but it's about the time that it's taken for the complaint to be dealt with. Let me give you an example. And this is one that's driven me around the bend over the last few weeks. 
and I'm going to attempt not to rattle on about this for the next four hours. Is this therapy for you, Colin? Is that why we're doing this? <laughs> it is, yes. Okay. Well, that's, I support that. I'm sorry, listener. This is going to take four hours for this episode. That's all right. We charge by the 55-minute hour, so speak <laughs> on, Colin. So this is a company called uh, Direct Line in the UK, one of the largest insurance companies. And, and basically, somebody hit my car, and I had to made a claim on, on it. I'm not going to go in bore you with the, with all the with all the details we ended up in dispute about the fact that a warning light had come on in my car when they had it so in other words they checked the car before it went in a warning light then came on when they had it and basically i i was saying well that's down to you because something must have happened there was no warning light before so this was while it was at the repair shop? Yeah. So in other words, it's being picked up on a lorry or truck and taken away. They go through this extensive check, which I'm happy with, to find out where all the scratches are. And sure. when you bring it back, you don't want the customer saying, well, there wasn't a scratch there when it was. So you go, that's fine. And one of the things they check is, was there an alarm on the car? Or any alarm showing? No, there wasn't. Now there's suddenly an alarm on the car and they're saying, hey, there's an alarm on the car. And I'm going, well, it wasn't there at the beginning. Anyway, I'm not going to go into it all now, but it is an interesting case study, and I'm thinking about doing a sort of a case study on this. We went through this entire process with them, and whilst they were coming back to me fairly promptly, what they were saying was extremely transactional, okay? So let me try to interpret what I'm saying there. The way that I was being dealt with didn't really show any sympathy or empathy for what I was trying to say to them. It was very matter of fact. Mm. Yeah. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast, we'll put it in the show notes about the culture of an organization and telling how culturally this organization or how, how well they're focused around the customers. Read it. So why is it important to this particular rule? Well, it was reading between the lines. I found myself reading between the lines and going, actually, they really don't care. They have their rules and that's it. The, the fact that we've been a customer for the last X years, uh, the fact that the, the lifetime value of us moving forward, they haven't even thought about that. All they're focused is on is this little bit here and we're now arguing about that little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, a very kind of narrow view on decision-making. So yes. you know, if we can save a couple hundred dollars by denying this part of the claim here, but in the process, poison the relationship with this customer that's potentially worth thousands or tens of thousands of dollars over the next 20 years, we're going to do that. Yes. And, and so again, it's that reading between the lines of the, the language they were using in the text they sent to me. And here's a couple of things they did which really annoyed me. One was I asked for some compensation at least. They basically said, yeah, here's some compensation. It's £25, which is about $35. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? I genuinely nearly th threw it in the bloody bin Yeah. because I thought that's just an insult. Yeah. And reading between the lines, I thought that's just insulting to think that that would buy me off, yeah? 
The second thing that really bugged me was at the end of this, they've gone, their engineer thinks that it's not a fault of theirs, which is fine. Okay, I can understand that. But if we are to review the claims process, if for us to review it, you need to get a manufacturer's report on the part to prove that it was our fault. So I tried to qualify what was meant by a manufacturer's report. And basically it meant I had to go to Jaguar and I had to get someone in Jaguar to look at that part and write a report for me saying that this could have happened at their shop rather than mine. So here's a question. How in the bloody hell do I do that? So the policy was basically go away. Yeah. Like the, the, the policy was written in other words, but it was essentially you're going to need to do the impossible in order for this claim to process. Correct. And that's why it falls under this rule, reading between the lines. We are going to put up a barrier that is so big that we know that you're never going to do that because how do I get a manufacturer's report? If Even if I knew how to do it, how much would that cost me and blah, 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 blah. And again, forgetting the sort of that longer term value. Let me rephrase your your rule number one here then. Um, yeah. Rather than a read between the lines, I, I think I would rephrase it as remember that your customers are going to read between the lines. So if you're trying to figure out how to manage complaints better, realize that your customers are going to be looking beyond it, just what you say to what it means to them. Yes. And also importantly, how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you can probably tell, I got bloody annoyed about this. I'm I'm a little (laughs) bit afraid of you right now. (laughs) It really wound me up. And it more wound me up from from that sense that you were talking about, which is, this is just so picky. And they're not looking at the wider picture here. As you well know, and as we've talked about before, there's very little that gets people more riled up than feeling disrespected. So it's just really a good way to make someone angry quickly. Yes. And it's very easy for companies to do this with the policies that they have and the way that they enact them. Yes. Just to back this up with a few stats, Microsoft came out with a stat a little while ago saying 58% of American consumers will switch companies because of poor service. Mm -hmm. So am I likely to move from direct line? Yeah, you bet your bottom dollar I am. 65% of customers said that they changed to a different brand because of poor service. Yeah. So there's a hundred and hundreds of stats that basically show that if you do poor service and if you do a poor experience of deal with a complaint in a bad way, you end up losing the customer. So let's get on to number two. Otherwise I'll be on my hobby horse for, for hours. So number two is empower your people which is it's just so bloody obvious yeah that most organizations still and this is after me doing this stuff for 20 years don't let their people make decisions financial decisions they have limits on the financial decisions they can make so ritz colton as a good example allow any of their employees to give up to $2,500 for a customer complaint. So if you snagged your jacket as you walked down the corridor and the cleaner was there looking at it, important word here, they can give up, important word, to $2,500. 
to that customer to get their, their jacket repaired. And to be clear, that that is authorized without getting prior approval. Yeah. So it's it's possible that they could even get more than that to fix a complaint. But that's just what they are empowered to do without seeking their general manager's prior approval. Yeah, because they know, and again, stats will show that uh, prove this, because they know that if you deal with a customer complaint quickly, then customers will settle for less yeah. than if you force them through the ringer yeah, and ask for a bloody manufacturer's report. They will settle for far less than anything else. Yeah, Here's something that's, again, interesting. And this is another one of these topics, which, I, as you can tell, I'm getting heated about. <laughs> we were doing some work with a ferry company in the UK that does a ferry between Scotland and Northern Ireland. Oh, like a boat. Yeah, ferry. Like a ferry company in the UK could very well be a company that deals with like gnomes and elves and stuff. Like that. <laughs> no, that's fairy. Uh, I said fairy. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've got a weird accent. I can hardly understand you normally. Oh, a okay, fairy company. Yeah. No, for all I know, mate, the ferry could have had lots of fairies on it, but I don't know because you don't normally be able to see fairies, actually. I've only been to England a couple of times, but most of what I know about it, I have taken from Tolkien novels. So I assume that's probably true. That's a classic. I wanted to see the CEO of the fairies. <laughs> he had a real high squeaky voice and glittery wings, but he was a lovely chap. Yeah. Uh, what was that one with? Um, what was that one with Tinkerbell? If you. Peter where Pan. she started to started to die, yeah, from Peter Pan. Why did she start to die? Because I can't remember. Anyway, anyway we digress. Uh, <laughs> so Colin gets worked up about bad service <laughs> and about fairy movies. So from fairies back to fairies. Got it. Got it. I'm with you. We were doing some work with this fairy company, and we basically said to them, "Look, Ritz Carlton, two and a half thousand dollars." And they went, "Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, we're going to implement that." And they implemented it, and I saw them a couple of couple of three months later, and I said, oh, how's it going? How many complaints have you had that, you know, how, how much money have you, you spent? And they said, nothing. And I said, why not? And they said, well, we don't know. It's just nobody's doing it. So we went out and we asked the employees, why are you doing it? You know, why are you not doing it? And they went, we don't think the management is serious. Yeah. And we think that if we do this, we're going to get jumped on. So we're not doing it. Yeah. And we went, no, 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 they're really serious, really. It's a really it's a good idea. And they went, all right, then. And then they started doing it. And it really worked well. So, yeah, empower your out, empower your people. Yeah. To be clear, Ritz-Carlton did not pick that $2,500 number out of the air. They know what their customer's lifetime value is. They know what it's reasonable to spend to make a customer happy. Yeah. If you manage a Motel 6, maybe don't empower your employees for $2,500. But yeah. empower them for something. Like n Let them know how important this is and incentivize them to actually act within their scope to do it. And, and you raise a good point, okay, which is highly unusual. <laughs> <laughs> we just settled some very important things about fairy <laughs> business models. I, don't, I disagree with you, but go ahead. But the important point you're raising there or the implications of what they're doing there is going, how much does it cost us to deal with a customer complaint. Yes. Okay. So to set that limit, you've actually got to go, you know what? 
to deal with a customer complaint normally, it costs this much to process it. We've had clients that when you ask them what's your complaint process and the escalation process, it literally could roll into thousands, sure. you know, thousands of dollars. And, and you just go, if you gave the employee the empowerment to make the choice at the beginning, rather than, you know, even if it was for five grand, yeah, you're going to save a hundred grand because the numbers all work out. So I guess what, all I'm saying is work out the numbers. How yeah. much does it cost? And when you're looking at the cost, don't just go look at the cost of, well, how much time are people taking dealing with this? If it gets escalated and it ends up involving somebody senior, then how many meetings have they got to attend to adjudicate on it? And how much is their time worth? And add that into the equation. It's some of the same short-term thinking that was in your first item, right? We're not thinking about the, the total relationship with the customer. We're looking very narrowly at this transaction. Same thing. Like, yes. We're, we're looking very narrowly at kind of this payoff as opposed to the total cost of the value of the customer long-term, the total cost of dealing with this complaint long-term, um, the total cost of this like broken policy that we've got. Yes. No, absolutely. And and again, that's the thing that really bugs me is people treat this as a transaction rather than looking at the lifetime value. Do I know that there are people out there that try to screw companies? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do I know that's wrong and do, you know, the cost associated? Yeah, but just do the math behind it and think of the lifetime value of the customer. Everyone has business problems. Everyone would like them solved. And what better way than asking two experts to weigh in on what to do? This is the essence of a new spot we have in the show called I'm in a Pickle. All we want you to do is to email us with your problems and Ryan and I will give you our best advice of what to do to resolve them. Hey Ryan, I'm really glad we're doing this, mate, because I've had this ingrained toenail for some time and I'm not certain what to do. Colin, let me stop you. We've discussed before no toenail discussions on the podcast. <laughs> Not your personal problems, business problems. It could be, how do you get your senior management to be more engaged in customer experience? How can you reduce the level of churn you have with customers? Or something specific, like how you should set the pricing for a service. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. We will simply look at all the problems and come up with the answers. So just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And then Brian, are you sure we can't sort out my ingrained toenail? Uh, well, Colin, you know I do have a machete collection, so maybe we can. <laughs> So that brings me on to rule number three, which is be fast, stupid. Okay. And what I mean here is, and I think we've dealt with this to a certain extent already, but just deal with it quickly. Mm. Empower your people, deal with it quickly. Don't put a customer through 27 different steps that they've got to deal with. You know, I say 27, I literally counted up with one client and there was 26 things that the customer would then have to do and it would go, the agent would start to deal with it and then it didn't. if it didn't work with them, it went to their first line boss and then the first line boss got involved in it and if it didn't work with them, it then went up to up in the escalation process and if it didn't work with them and then it goes to 
in the UK, it would go to a government, you could even complain to a government department about it, like an official regulator. Like the Ministry of Magic? Again, yeah. I, I mostly <laughs> With... know about England from novels. <laughs> and fairies, yeah. 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 I mean, it eventually goes all the way up the line. So, you know, just be fast about it. So this is kind of a related idea. And bear with me for a second, because I'm going to get into statistics. But there's this idea in statistics about type one and type two errors. And I won't get into the weeds on that. Basically, when you're running statistical tests, there's two kinds of problems that you can worry about. There's false positives and false negatives. So you can accidentally identify something that's not actually there. It's a false positive. Or it can miss something that is there and overlook it. And the reason I bring this up, this parallel, there's something similar that goes on with regards to customer complaints. We would love to write policies where everyone who's justified in complaining gets compensated in some way, and everybody who's trying to screw over the company gets rejected. And there's 100% accuracy in that. That policy doesn't exist. That does not actually happen in reality. So in reality, we're either going to write policies where some people who have a justifiable complaint are not going to be made whole, it's going to be more conservative, or it's going to be too liberal. And some people who deserve to be rejected are in fact going to be compensated anyway. That should be a strategic decision for the company. In many cases, it makes sense financially, from a reputation standpoint, from a customer experience standpoint, to be too liberal in your policies. And it makes sense to knowingly make these errors where you're going to compensate some people who don't deserve it. Not always. We can imagine some businesses that run on really tight margins where you might run in the other direction. The way people kind of think about these costs, they don't take everything into account. And so you know, maybe you just, you kind of bite the bullet and you realize you're going to be paying out money to some people who don't deserve it. But the upshot of that is that everybody who deserves to be made whole is going to be made whole under this policy. And we recognize in the long term, that's going to have benefits to the company. Yes. And that's the key for me. It's looking at this from a strategic perspective rather than a just the tactical perspective. And going back to my number one reading between the lines, you just get the impression they assume that everyone's lying. Yeah, yeah. The process is set up thinking that everyone, and is virtually implying that everyone's a liar. I wonder if part of that is a result of too many companies turning over returns policy making or complaints policy making, I should say, to the legal department. It's like, well, we need a we need a policy on this. Uh, why don't we get the legal department to write it up for us? Because it is kind of a contractual obligation and it's written up in formal terms. But the legal department, their motivation is always to protect the company. And so naturally, they're going to want to have people jump through hoops. They're going to want to pay out as little as possible. If we look at this as more of a customer experience policy, I think that really changes the calculation. Fewer lawyers. That's my message to you. (laughs) So yes, I agree with the legal side. I would also although I would probably put that secondary to the financial side yeah. okay, and to finance and creating the policies that determine that. Yeah, finance is not going to be any better from the customer experience standpoint. The big issue is this, and again, we talked about this in the podcast where we talked about customer centricity and naive to natural. It's about the culture of the organization. It's about who is more important. Do we, we want to protect ourselves Or do we want to grow our business through our customers? If you are, and we talked about in this podcast, so I'd go back and listen to it, what we would call naive or transactional, 
that's the majority of organizations and they think of themselves first. They think of it from a transactional perspective. This customer has done this and they don't look at that. The direct line is a classic example. You know, they haven't taken into account the lifetime value. They haven't taken into account customer loyalty. They haven't into, taken into account that I'm going to rant and rave about this on, on this show and others, etc. What do you mean yeah. in others? You, are you doing another podcast behind my back? <laughs> Yeah, I do a special fairy one every week. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> this week's on, on Colin's fairy podcast, we're going to talk about brownies. <laughs> so they haven't thought about all those things. So two other things. Let's 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 crack on because I'm, I know the listener is desperately knowing, wants to know what the next two things are. So two other areas, two other rules. Embrace complaints. Okay, too many organizations think that customer complaints are bad. Yeah. Okay, customer complaints are good because they tell you where you're going wrong. Mm. They are free market research. Yeah. Yeah. And the mentality of too many organizations is oh, it's terrible to have a customer complaint. And there are parts of organizations that even try to hide the bloody things. Mm-hmm. You should be embracing them. You should be encouraging them. You should be, you should be getting your customers not to complain as much as they can, but to tell you the things they're going wrong. That does raise an issue, which is an interesting issue. And I could spend a whole another podcast talking about this is what is the definition of a complaint? So some organizations will say a customer complaint is only when we receive a written letter from the customer. Okay. Some organizations would say, well, no, it's an email. Some organizations, more progressive organizations would say, well, so if I said, well, I don't think that's very good, or I don't like this thing on your product or your whatever, or I don't think that, you know, replying to me in two days time is is acceptable. That's a complaint. The customer is not saying it's a complaint, but the customer is actually complaining. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I would even include, you know, not even directly complaining to the company, but to friends yes. on social media. Definitely. Anywhere, yes. a, a negative review left on a third party site. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And this idea that complaints contain information value. I teach a case in my MBA classes where it's a complaining customer case. We talk through how to handle that and, and what we can learn. I then have the students list off all the things that this president of this company learned from this customer complaint in the letter that they wrote. And it's rather substantial about how policies are being implemented within the company and so on. And I then pause and I ask them, how much would you have needed to pay a consultant to give you this information about your own organization? Sure. And there's chuckling within the room because it's going to be a lot anytime you engage in a consultant for for that kind of work. And here's customers giving you that information for free um, that you can then take advantage of if you are set up to do that. Yes, absolutely. Rule number five, and this is pretty basic, but again, I don't see organizations doing this enough. Empathize. Empathize with the customer. Empathy does not mean you give the customer everything they want. Empathy means that you understand how the customer is feeling. You are walking in their shoes. You are telling the customer that you understand how they feel about 
things, okay? And when you do, when they feel that there's some empathy there, then guess what? They actually respond to that. And this goes back to actually rule number one, which is read between the lines. A lot of complaints, I just want to be noticed. Yeah. I just want to tell you about this bad experience that I've had. Don't put the bloody barriers up straight away as soon as they say that. Empathize with them. Let them talk. Remember that you have two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in that ratio. And that means that you need to allow your people the time to do that, Mm. okay? So don't have things like average call handling time as a measure that forces people off the phone. Let them spend the time to empathize with the customer. Again, if I go back to the direct line, they responded quickly, okay? But I didn't see any empathy there whatsoever. It was extremely transactional in their, their approach, okay? And in fact, they did a survey, which was interesting, after the event. And they asked me how, the, how it was dealt with. And it was one of these surveys where you, you answer the question, but they didn't really get to the heart of the matter. So they asked me, did the person apologize? And the answer to that question is, yes, they did. Did I feel it was genuine? Right. No, I didn't. Yeah. So the words, you know, we apologize or whatever right. the phrase was that they used were in there. But did I think that they really meant it? Nah, they didn't really mean it. It was, I was just another transaction and they had to, you know, they wanted to get on to 27 other things. They apologized with a very sincere 25 pound gift certificate to Red Lobster. <laughs> Absolutely. So empathize. That's great. Yeah. Any other pearls or wisdoms from you, mate, before we just do a wrap-up? I'm going to empathize with our listener who feels that we've gone on too long uh, (laughs) about fairies and other nonsense, and and I will get off the podcast. i tell you what, mate. At the start of this podcast, I would never have thought we would be discussing fairies. (laughs) Um, Hey, you brought up fairies. I will point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let me summarize. Five rules for effectively dealing with customer complaints. One, you need to read between the lines. Put yourself in the customer's shoe. What are they going to think about what you're saying? And more importantly, how you're saying it. Read between the lines and read between the lines of what the customer is saying to help you empathize with them. What's their real issue? Yeah. So empathize, read between the lines. Two, empower your people. Yeah. Three, be fast, stupid. Do it quickly. Four, embrace complaints. They're good news. Free research. And five, empathize. So I hope that's been of use. If you have a pickle, if you have something which your customer is complaining about, let us know because we've got a new segment in the show that we're going to be doing. We do a show every so often, depending on how many pickles we get, called I'm in a Pickle, which basically means send us your problems. And Ryan and I will look into behavioral science. We'll look into all of our experience. We're looking into it from academia, from all of my business experience, and we will come up with some solutions to your problem. All you need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. Fill out the form there, send off your pickle, and with a better luck, it will be included in the show and you'll get us pontificating on how you can solve it free bit of consultancy okay 
Thanks very much for uh, uh, attending today, uh, listening today, should I say, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton, but it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.